I'm thankful that we have you as our God. A God who can turn even a cup of cold water into something amazing for the kingdom. Someone who can take a humble gesture of service and turn it into a salvation moment. Someone who can come to this world and make death the way to life. Someone who can create people so capable of such goodness in you. I pray, God, that today our words, our songs, our prayers, our thoughts, our hearts all honor you. And I pray, God, this day, indeed, a special blessing upon all our hardworking, very un, sometimes unseen mothers, and how they bring out the best in us. How they remind us to care as you do. How they remind us to love as you do. How they remind us to serve as you do. How they remind us to unconditionally care for the people around us as they do their children, as you do. I just thank you, God, for your example in all of our lives, as seen in our different roles and our different ways. And I pray, God, that this text helps us to have another angle on you, another reflection of who you are that we can angle into our life, that we can angle into the world and then reflect its blessings back up to you. I thank you, God, for this day, and I pray you do with it as only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, welcome everybody. It's good to see you all here, and welcome everyone online. I know that I saw Marlene and Don Krebs joining us. I want to say hello to... What? It, I don't know his name. Did anyone in here know who Mark Johnson's father's name is? Lyle? Lyle? I know you're watching, Lyle. Mark sent us a picture. Good morning to you, sir. I just want to give a special shout-out. His dad's with us almost all the time, and I just want to make sure that I saw him today. I also saw Jim and Linda Rue, Island and Linda Rue, I'm sorry, Uh, and uh, I can't remember who else was there. So That's who I saw, so it was good to see you all here, and thank you all for joining us. I got a couple comments about being dressed up this morning, which I responded, uh, if I can't dress up for mothers, then who can I dress up for? But uh, I actually wear this tie for a reason every day that especially reminds me of my lovely wife, uh, the mother of our family. Uh, I bought this tie because Amy's favorite color is pink. And our first big public date after we finally, not after we met, but after we got together in person, after I came back from deployment, our first big public lit date was to a wedding. Uh, two weeks after we got together in person. And I wore this tie uh, specifically, uh, hopefully to impress her. Uh, And it's a lucky tie because that wedding, I caught the garter, she caught the bouquet, we were engaged two weeks later. So I am thankful just because I'm up here for a second. I am extremely thankful for God bringing Amy into my life. I tell her all the time that I didn't think women like her existed anymore. And that's reflected every day in the patience, the grace, the mercy, uh, and just the wonderful energy she brings as the mother to our, uh, our five kiddos. So just happy Mother's Day, dear. And every day, hopefully, you feel honored, not just today. I want to start out this morning with this text, uh, which is a fairly well-known one. Um, When it comes to later in the passage, especially the whole I desire mercy, not sacrifice, we're going to break that down, what that means this morning. And this may be an odd text. I actually did specifically choose this text uh, to make sure this fell on this day. Not that this is a Mother's Day sermon. Every sermon I preach, hopefully, is a Christ sermon. Uh, But it does definitely overlap and interlock a little bit. One of the things that the Bible constantly does, we see Jesus constantly doing, is challenging people's divisions, 
challenging the way that they organize things, challenging the way that they map out their life. And this one is no different. In fact, this one's more in your face. So I thought as a, as a short preface here uh, that we want to look at some maps uh, that are a little bit off the wall, and uh, hopefully you enjoy a few of these. This one, there are more people living inside this circle than out of it. Kind of blows your mind a little bit. I believe it. Obviously, this is China and India predominantly right here, as well as some of the Philippines. It's crazy. I can't count to the veracity and the truth of all these, but, you know, it's the Internet, so you can trust it, right? This next one, uh, this is the world's population, speaking of population, in concentrated. Uh, this is basically in the sense you can't really see it. If the world's population was as spread out as a certain city, how much of the U.S. it would take. So this is how big Paris would be, all the world's population with the city density population of Paris. This is San Francisco. This is London. This is Houston. I can verify that. Houston is very spread out, and that's actually why I liked it. Uh, this is Singapore, but if everyone was as packed, tight, tightly packed as New York, the entire world, the whole world's population could fit in Texas. I also believe that one, because you know where you are 12 hours later when you're driving in Texas? Texas. Yeah. Here's the world upside down. Ever seen it this way? Completely upside down, except it was written correctly. Gives you a little bit new perspective, so we're right there. <laughs> Here's this one. This is the predominant, uh, most popular Internet browser in the world. Internet Explorer is green. Google Chrome is over here. Firefox and Opera right there. I'm not sure what that one is. Uh, they need a small little dot in there because I'm a very loyal, loyal Google Chrome user, just for the record. <laughs> this is uh, which side of the road people drive on. Right, predominant, left, right here. You can't really see it. There's a dot. That's a British colony uh, island called Cyprus where they happen to drive on the left, on the wrong side of the road, which is the left side. I know because whenever I flew there in the Air Force, I was the youngest one, and so I got to rent the car and be responsible for keeping everyone safe while I drove on the wrong side. I think they regretted it after the first trip. This is the world's population uh, by size, just in a, you know, if, everyone, if, if the countries were, you know, the population size, according to the world. Ah, I didn't explain that very well. This is how big every country would be according to its population in the world. Makes sense. We're getting to the fun ones now. Speaking of world population, this is a map of where there are McDonald's in the world, as in the restaurant Mickey D's. Uh, red is the current, blue is the former, and that has no data. Uh, I feel sorry for Greenland, all the way up there, without a McDonald's. Speaking of, of uh, traveling, this is the most efficient route to the U.S. to visit all the U.S. Springfields. You start up here, in the one just south of here. You know there are like 30-something, well, let's see, actually. I think there are almost, I don't know how many Springfields there are. There's quite a few. I grew up right next to that one, for a matter of fact. Speaking of on your way, you can maybe look at how many people prefer cats over dogs. Oregon seems to be in the more cats area. Maybe you can disagree with that. I do. Oh well. <laughs> and finally, one of my favorite ones. Uh, this is a map of wherever kangaroo ownership is legal and illegal. Now, the red is not allowed. The green is allowed with a permit. The yellow, this yellow is allowed, or allowed without a permit. The green is, the green is allowed without a permit. I want to move to Colorado and Wisconsin just for this, just to test it. And I'm surprised Texas needs a permit. 
personally. If anyone has a kangaroo, don't say anything. <laughs> so those are silly. Maybe informative. Maybe you got more out of those than you will the sermon. Who knows? But those are silly, but it's different ways of dividing our world, different ways of understanding our world, different ways of putting a map, putting information, no matter how silly, how nonsensical, how maybe interesting. You're going to be thinking about that kangaroo for a while, aren't you? Ways of putting information in a way that we can understand. The thing is, we do this not just with this type of information. We do this all over the place. We actually do it with how we understand our world and how our worldview is. As a matter of fact, a definition of worldview is not what we look at, but what we look through. And how we look through it determines the map of our world. Actually, sociologists call this, have a term for this, they call it the map of times, the map of your times, which is literally how one sees and interprets one own world and time. When it comes to this text, this is what's challenged. Not only one group of peoples, which is the Pharisees, they had a very uh, vehement and a very particular way of seeing their map of times and interpreting their world, but the principles that Jesus says apply to all Christians, regardless of their culture and time, and do indeed challenge us in our way that we view our world and the map of our times. So let's get into the text, shall we? Bill already read it, but for the sake of going over it again, Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, only for the priests. Or haven't you read the law that the, Sabbaths on the, uh, that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now we could preach on this little paragraph for a long time and not only bring out the historical and Old Testament details, but actually the application here. So what is he saying? Well, the Pharisees took very seriously, and the Pharisees were the one basically in charge of the Jewish nation, ones of the synagogue, ones regarding interpretation of the law. The Pharisees took extremely seriously the commandment, do not work on the Sabbath. Treat the Sabbath as holy. Do not do anything that resembles work on the Sabbath. Now, the last one is where they took it. They took the law, and not just the Sabbath law so seriously, but the entire Levitical Code, all 613 uh, laws that found in the Old Testament, and they took them so seriously that they decided not only to obey the law, but they tried to make it possible, and many of us know this, to where no one would even inadvertently or accidentally or happen to disobey and dishonor the law. So in this case, we're looking at work, which included threshing, reaping, harvesting. That's a no-no. So what the Pharisees did, instead, and this is not just a group of time, but this is throughout, you know, since the law was made, people interpreting it, writing it down, what they did is that they would do something, which I'll have up here in a minute, which was put a uh, hedge, put a fence around the law. This is going to be a very simple slide. It violates every rule of PowerPoint building, 
And that's the point. This offhand is from uh, the Talmud, from the Mishnah, and I'm just going to read it real fast to give you the basic context of what it says. I don't expect you to read all this. There's going to be more. <clears throat> basic tasks connected with preparing the sherbet of the temple. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking. Work related to making the coverings in the tabernacle and the vestments used by the kahonim, searing sheep, bleaching, carding, dyeing, spinning, stretching material, making two loops, beginning of sewing, threading needles, weaving, separating, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing, tearing, activities concerned with writing and the preparation of parchment from animal skin, trapping or hunting, slaughtering, skinning, curing hides, scraping pelts, marking out a hide to make ready for cutting, cutting, writing, erasing, constructing, building, demolishing, kindling a flame, lighting or extinguishing, carrying from private to public domain and vice versa, and putting the finishing touches to a piece of work already begun before the Sabbath. All that is not allowed. It gets, it gets worse. <laughs> they must not, Jews, people bound by this, must not do anything that, one, resembles a prohibited act or could be confused with it, two, is a habit linked with a prohibited act, or three, usually leads to performing a prohibited act. This is called putting a fence around the Torah. They're making it to where you can't even get close to the thing which is prohibited, therefore you will not have any happenstance or accident of happening to disobey the law. What this means, like I said, this is for the point of just going what all goes into this, not for your memory or for your reading. Writing's prohibited. Climbing in trees forbidden because it may lead to breaking twigs or tearing leaves, which could be construed as reaping, i.e. separating part of a growing plant from its source. Other activities by extension are prohibited on the Sabbath include the following. Adding fresh water to a vase, cut of flowers, sowing, activity causes or furthers plant growth, making bouquet of flowers, that's making a sheaf, separating good fruit from spoiled fruit, that's winnowing, selecting, sifting, brushing dried mud from boots or clothes, that's grinding, cutting hair or nails, shearing sheep, removing outer covering of a human or animal, applying makeup, that's dyeing, braiding hair is weaving, drawing blood for a blood test, that's slaughtering, rubbing soap, to make lather, applying face cream, polishing shoes, using scoring powder for utensils or other services. That's scraping or smoothing on the surface of any material by grinding, rubbing, or polishing. Sharpening a pencil is prohibited. Cutting to shape altering the size or shape of an item to make it better for human use. That's work. Painting, drawing, typing. That's writing. Making any durable marks on durable material. Tearing through the lettering on a package. That's erasing. Opening an umbrella or unfolding a screen. Building. Smoking a cigarette. Using the telephone. That's kindling a fire. Uh, switching off an electric switch, that's extinguishing a fire. Setting or winding a clock or watch, that's finishing off. Wearing eyeglasses not permanently required, that's carrying them from private to public domain and vice versa. Don't do that. Now I say this not to patronize our Jewish brethren. This is actually from modern day texts as well. But to give you an example of what this meant. This is how they took, this is how Jews both now, admittedly, and after the law was written all through time, this is what they took it to mean, that you must not work on the Sabbath. You must define everything so that you may not accidentally do something which is prohibited. The Mishnah and the Talmud, the 613 letters of the law, are about that big. You know, if you put them all together in our current Bible, and even if you put them on scrolls, it would only be about that big. The Talmud and the Mishnah, the commentary on the laws describing all this, is big. This is what Jesus was facing when he took a little bit of grain, 
because it was eating. This has been expanded through the years, but already it was like this in Jesus' time, where everything was laid out, how many steps you could take without working, how long you had to sit before you took more steps, lest it count as working. This is the mindset. This is the map of the times that these people, the Pharisees, that were trying to honor God, by the way, keep that in mind, but this is the map of the times that they had. Exact. This is how it became legalistic. Because you could watch other people and go, you broke the law, you must now go do that. You see how it goes. Disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and look at them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Technically, that's true. Because the law of their culture was bound by the rabbi's interpretation and their writings. The, rap, the, Britic, the, the Torah, the Mosaic law is the ultimate law, but it was defined and carried out by the rabbinical writings. Technically, in the culture of their day, they were, that was right. Technically, according to their map of times. It says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. This is found in 1 Samuel 21. We're not going to turn to it right now. Basically, David was on the run from Saul. He stopped in. His men were hungry. The priests saw that they were on the run. The priests also knew that David was the anointed son of God and he let him eat the showbread, which was not lawful. And that was actually by the Torah, by the actual law. Not the commentary. Not the writings. That was actually in Mosaic Law that only priests ate the showbed. Jesus' point is not only did David do that, not only did the priests do it, but God approved of it because it allowed David's sustenance his men to keep on going. Haven't you read the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? What does the Sabbath say? Or what does the law say? No work on the temple. The priests were charged with keeping the Sabbath, keeping the temple open and sacrifices going 24-7 all the time, including the Sabbath. Technically, by rabbinical, by Torah, by Mosaic law, the priests every Sabbath that worked in the temple broke the law. Once again, not the Mishnah or the Talmud, the Mosaic law. And yet they're innocent, Jesus says. Everyone knew this because they had to keep the temple going. Why? Because Jesus says, because the temple, the work of the temple, supersedes the work of the law. The law is to remind us that everything in our life is connected to God. Everything in our life is, can be holy or not. Holiness extends to every part of our life. But the temple, the worship of God, the meeting place of God, supersedes that, which is why the priests were innocent. And I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Now Jesus kind of insults him and says, if only you had known, now you're talking to Pharisees who knew the law, upwards, backwards, upwards, downwards, happy all the time. In fact, rabbinical uh, tradition says that you could say any combination of three words, three words from any part of the Old Testament, three words in a row, and a Pharisee could identify book, chapter, verse and give you the surrounding context. They knew the law. Jesus is saying, you know it, but you don't know it. And this actually comes from Hosea 6.6. 6. So if anyone wants to say that the Old Testament is not about faith and grace and mercy, 
Well, Hosea spits them right in the face. Actually, the entire Old Testament is about great faith and mercy in a particular angle. Hosea 6, 6 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus says, you know this, but if you really knew it, you wouldn't condemn the innocent. Not just meaning him and his disciples for picking grain, but the innocent of society who the Pharisees had <laughs> judged, Eric's class this morning, had judged, condemned, cast out, by not strictly obeying the rabbinical law. The Son of Man is Lord on the Sabbath. What's he saying here? He's saying that there is a difference between your heart, between your mind. Jesus is saying you're confusing knowledge of something, which is good. You're confusing knowledge of something with application of something. Just because you know something does not mean that exactly how you know it is how you apply it. Life, just because you can apply something doesn't mean you know it. It goes both ways. What's the biblical word combining knowledge and application? Wisdom. Wisdom both knows what is to be known and knows the correct way to live it out. And maybe not even correct is the right word. The best way to live it out. The godly way to live it out. The biblical way of living it out. Jesus is saying, you have knowledge, O Pharisee. You have knowledge of the law, and you are absolutely correct. But your wisdom is not only lacking, it's not there. Your heart of the matter is not only lacking, it's not there. I'd like to point out just real quick, when he says, I'll tell you something greater than the temple is here, he's talking about himself. Jesus John 1.14 says is the temple <laughs> tabernacle among us he templed among us the place where heaven and earth meet intersect overlap and interlock I am here he says to the Pharisees the son of man therefore is Lord of even the Sabbath well Pharisees don't like that very much as you know but going on from that place he went to their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus that tells you where their intentions are they asked him is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath they thought they had him okay fine picking grain if you're hungry yeah David ate alright fine I can't charge you on that but they thought for sure a healing is indisputably work and would be able to charge Jesus and have it stick he said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? It's a saying there. Someone who's in need, someone who is vulnerable, someone who can't do it themselves. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This how much more is actually, there's a Jewish phrase, which I'm not going to repeat because I... I don't know the pronunciation. I'm not ask it. You can look it up. This is a common Jewish phrase. It's a common Jewish idiom meant for teaching. And so Jesus is using things of his own culture. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Now it's important to note that while he's talking about a contrast, he's not just talking about quantity. He's not just talking about the kind of how much more as in, you know what? I like a cookie. How much more would I like three cookies? not that kind of contrast. I would, by the way, so would you. You know, <laughs> The 
kind of contrast that Jesus has here and that this idiom talked about is value. Not just a personal want, not just a desire, but a value. And also, to use this idiom, it had to be absolutely obvious. That's caution, wet floor. You see, no one in their right mind would say, well, <laughs> many people, most people, would say, yeah, of course, of course a person is more valuable than a sheep. Of course a person is more valuable than an animal. Theologically speaking, and I'm not trying to be mean to the animals, I like them too. Theologically speaking, there's only one creation which was made in the image of God, and that's humans. So even theologically, you have a basis for it. Especially in this culture. No one in their right mind would say, well, a sheep is more valuable. How much more valuable? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So stretched out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. They knew not only that technically he broke their law, but also where were their hearts. They didn't see Jesus as a Messiah. They saw him as a threat. Why? In many ways because of the principle of this lesson which I'm about to tell you. In fact, let me preface this even more. What I'm about to put up on the screen, some people see as a threat to the church even today. Because it's a threat to tradition. It's a threat to a very black and white way of interpreting the Bible. Sometimes people say it's a threat of control of Christians, of members. Even people today well, not like what I'm about to put up on the screen. But it's true, at least so far as I know. What is Jesus teaching here? Therefore, it is lawful to what? Do good on the Sabbath, even though technically it does break modern law. This passage, among others, teaches us something which is very <laughs> incredibly intrusive. Not just the Pharisees' map of their times, but also many peoples today. What Jesus is teaching is that transcultural, timeless principles and transformation take priority over situation or cultural-based rules. Transcultural meaning things that apply in every culture. Timeless principles. Principles, by definition, are timeless, eternal truths. And transformation into God, into Jesus, take priority over situation and cultural-based rules. Think on that for a second. Technically, Jesus was breaking the law, but not the principle of the law, which is the Sabbath was meant to do what? To do good. Not to keep you from doing anything, but to keep you rested, to keep you centered on God. The Sabbath was a time to rest and relax and focus your entire life, to remind yourself that your entire life, your entire week was to be focused on God. It was to rest, not just rest physically, but rest in the presence of God. What was the point of the law? The law was not to control your every move and make sure that you did or didn't please God. It was how to please God, but the point of the law was to remind you that holiness, as I said, impacts every single aspect of your life. Marriage, health, family, 
education, society, all these things that the law seemed very intrusive on. It was not to control his people, but God was reminding his people that when you do this, being like me impacts this too. Impacts this too. You can't escape being like me. You can't escape being holy or not. Either you are holy like me in every way, or you're not. Now, I know you're going to mess up, and so I'm going to give you the sacrifice in order for you to realize that you made atonement for me and to realize the consequence of when you choose to not be like me, not to control you. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. When the Pharisees saw the people who needed needed healing, who needed water, a cup of cold water, maybe who needed us to go a little bit farther than the how many steps it took. Yes, technically they were not breaking the law. And they thought to themselves, good Jew, good Pharisee, good Christian maybe even today. Except they were breaking the higher law of love. They were breaking the higher law of mercy. They were breaking the higher law Treat each other like you want to be treated, as we talked about this morning. To love your neighbor as yourself, which is indeed loving God. I want to be careful of this because you can abuse it, but just because something can be abused doesn't mean it's not true. If there is a law which you are bound by your society, culture, church, but yet breaks a higher principle of God, love each other, love, justice, mercy, sac- um, grace... God approves of a higher law. How do we know this? Well, I preempted myself a little bit. Ah, no, go back, ye PowerPoint. We know that God approves of this because was Jesus breaking the law on the Sabbath? Technically, yes. Does God approve of him obeying the higher law? Yes, because where did Jesus get his power from? From God. And when Jesus says, stretch out your hand, it was healed. Just because something can be abused, and this can, and this is, doesn't mean it's not true. Transcultural, timeless principles and transformation take priority over situation and cultural-based rules. Because here's the thing. The Pharisees were very fond of mapping out who was in and who was out. Who was like the Pharisees and who was not. Who was a sinner, who was not. Jesus is saying, you got the wrong map. It's not about who is in or out according to you, but it's about who is in the light or who is walking in dark. Put another way, it's about who is acting and working and living and walking and breathing like me, which is like God. That's the only map you need to be worried about. And indeed, sometimes law, sometimes rules that we make ourselves, not just we as a church or Christians or society, even the government, we can obey the law, but we can walk in the dark. For example, just to put this a little bit in the sign of today, if a mother, if a was in a situation to where she was starving and couldn't feed her children, I'm confident saying she would find a way to get food. If that meant stealing, if that meant taking from those who could afford it, 
Is she breaking the law? Yes. Would we condemn her? Jesus says there might not be consequences for this. He was crucified. But yet, the charge to obey the higher law of God, mercy, love, treating your neighbor like yourself, Jesus says that's what walking in the light is like. For us today, it raises two questions. Well, it raises more. What map of our times do we let interfere with acting like today? I I talked about this a couple sermons ago, meaning in what ways do we insist on sacrifice of others before we show them love or grace or mercy? The Pharisees' map informed them that they needed to insist on law and obedience before good and Jesus shows them viscerally, you've got it wrong. Another question is, how often do we act as judges of holiness when we ought to act like forgiven sinners? The Pharisees often would take on the role, and this is the counterpoint that they have with Jesus, the Pharisees would often take on the role of being judge and jury, saying this one's guilty, this one's innocent, how dare you break the law of God? And Jesus is like, dude, I was there when the law was written. He actually said that in John 8. That didn't go well. But how often do we act as judges of holiness when we ought to ask, act like forgiveness? I was tempted. <laughs> I was tempted today to read a little essay I found in her experience of coming to a church when she was in need. And I decided not to, honestly, because it was too depressing. She talked about how she came, and one of the first questions out of my mouth was, where's your husband? And she explained, she's divorced, he left, we don't have much. And immediately she said the stigma started. Put single mom in there, put drunk, put divorcee, put addict put felon, whatever you want, put human in front of that. How often do we act as judges of holiness when we ought to act like forgiven sinners that need to treat each other that way? The rest of this text, aware of this, Jesus drew from the place aware that the Pharisees were wanting to come. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I am chosen, the one whom I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice on the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In, the name, in his name the nations will put their hope. Matthew it's saying that Isaiah was speaking about Jesus and saying in such a way that not only proclaiming this is who Isaiah was saying this is the Messiah, this person here but also giving us the nature of Jesus' ministry. He will proclaim justice, which is not just retributive justice, you have now broken something, you must fix it, but restorative justice, restoring righteousness, restoring right relationship between people and people and God. 
And Isaiah is saying how he will do that. He will not quarrel nor cry out. He will not be someone who speaks highly, who will not lift himself on an altar or a throne. He will not go to war. He will not go and pick a fight. No one will hear his voice in the streets, meaning someone who's proclaiming for show or shouting from the rooftops, but instead they will meet him face to face, need by need, people to people, person to person. Kingdom citizen to kingdom citizens. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. He is a Messiah of mercy and gentleness and grace and love until he has brought justice through to victory. Notice that Isaiah is saying that the way that he brings justice through to victory is by gentleness, grace, being meek, poor in spirit, humble, loving, good according to God. In this, in this name will the nations put their hope. This passage teaches us, just like the best of mothers who will do hours upon hours and hours and hours of work. In fact, they, <laughs> they said at one point, this was a couple years ago, that being a mother of two children, just two or more, is the equivalent of working like three and a half full-time jobs. I've seen my wife. I believe it. She needs to get paid more than I do. In this spirit that the best of mothers do, that the best of mothers partake in for the sake of their children, someone who may not ever thank them, someone who may not ever know what they've done for them, someone who will do it in the dark of night, in the corners of the day, and do it because that is their duty. In that spirit, do they reflect our Messiah Savior who came not to be worshipped on a throne, not to be worshipped by throngs, not to speak great things or give good sermons or speeches, and not to be, to be hailed by the masses, but yet someone who will do and live out the law of good every day of his earthly life, that we may too The picture of washing feet is a known one, but it's a good one. This is the way that the justice is proclaimed to the nations, by washing feet. By always taking to heart not just maybe what is the law, what we must or must not do, but thinking higher. Thinking to the good of your neighbor. Thinking to the good of your sister. Thinking to the good, to the love, to the grace, to the mercy of those around us and living that out. Let us not be a church that never not breaks the law. But let us be a church that never breaks the law of doing good to each other and to the world like Jesus.